Our passage today comes from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 12. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The word of the Lord. Sometimes the internet gives you a gift and you don't question it. You just let it happen. All right. And, all right. So I'm going to play a sound for you. Close your eyes. Seeing the sermon title, you know what's coming. But just close your eyes and listen. Okay. Now you can open your eyes. Raise your hand if the sound that you heard was Yanni. Okay, now the correct people who heard Laurel, please raise your hands right now. Laurel, Laurel, Laurel. Okay, so uh, folks, my point in doing that is not to be um, a, you know, hacky, hip pastor with my uh, of-the-minute uh, uh, cultural references, okay? I'm not doing that. That just is natural to me. Uh, I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's laughing a little too hard at that one this morning. <laughs> so the point is this, that people hearing the same sound can hear two exactly different, opposite things. And when we're hearing a passage like this, we can hear a couple of different things, especially as it relates to the relationship between husbands and wives. And we're doing a series here um, over the next uh, past several weeks and a few more weeks after this on First Peter. Um, and this is, is, is letter, Peter's letter to his churches, and he is encouraging them to live faithfully in the midst of a hostile world. And so these are Peter's foundational teachings. And so we want to see what does he have to teach us about living from these foundations. And so what I want to help us do this morning is to hear what Peter is saying and not hear what he's not saying. So kind of like I want to help you be able to hear Laurel and not Yanni because that is actually it came from the pronunciation website for Laurel. So there is an objective truth out there folks uh, sees it. So so Peter is not saying so here is what he is not saying when we hear this. He's not saying that women 
are inferior to men. Uh, his admonition is wives be subject to your own husbands, not women as a class be subject to men as a class. And yes, he says that, that, that men are to honor women as the weaker vessel. And what he means by this is that women are typically, generally physically weaker than men. And so men, especially in a, a patriarchal uh, society, could be tempted to exploit their, their physical strength over their wives in order to bully their wives into doing whatever it was that they wanted them to do. And this could entail, you know, domestic or sexual abuse. And so in contrast, Peter says, because women are typically physically weaker than men, and men are inclined to assert dominance over them, Christian men should do the exact opposite and honor women. And it's completely lost on us, you know, uh, 20 centuries on. But what Peter is doing here is unprecedented in ancient Greco-Roman moral instruction. Telling husbands to honor their wives. And, and Greco-Roman culture was an honor and shame-based society. And honor was something that was owed by social inferiors to their social superiors. And so uh, society was kind of arranged in this great hierarchy of who owed honor to whom. And so at the top was the emperor. And everyone is supposed to honor the emperor. He's honored by all. And then next you have the patricians, so the aristocratic class. They're owed honor. And then you have the plebeians. Uh, and last of all, you have the slaves. And even within in, in, in slavery, there was a hierarchy. And the people at the absolute bottom were the folks who worked in, you know, the, the salt mines. Um, they were at the complete bottom of the social order. And they owed honor to everyone above them. And within each class, uh, men were always in a position of honor over women. They were seen as being owed that within this great hierarchy of society. And here we have Peter turning that completely on its head, saying that the person at the top of the social hierarchy owes honor to the person who is beneath him. And I think it's hard for us to grasp how completely revolutionary this is. It would be like if all of a sudden we saw the Mississippi River start flowing in the other direction. And why does he do that? Why does he say that? Why does he invert the order of things that had been that way forever? Because turning the world upside down so that it's actually right side up is what the gospel does. And the entire context of what Peter is saying is that the reason that Christians should live in this particular way is that we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. He says that explicitly in the verses just before this at the end of chapter 2. And so he says, when we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who saved the world, not by exalting himself over others, but voluntarily submitting himself to suffering, humiliation, service, and indignity. And so when we look at the example of Jesus, honor flowed from heaven to earth. God became man. The eternal entered time. The infinite allowed himself to be contained in the finite. The king of the universe took on the form of a slave. The, the, the holy and sinless, perfect lamb of God took on the sins of the world. And the author of life suffered death. And so when we look at Jesus and he becomes our picture of who God is. It completely transforms the way that we look at the world. Jesus completely inverts the order of the world that is based on hierarchies of oppression and dominance over. 
And as followers of him, we are to embrace completely his different way of seeing and being in the world. That's what this word likewise is doing right at the beginning of verse 1 and then in verse 7. Saying likewise do this and that likewise is pointing back to the end of chapter 2 where Peter recounts the righteous suffering of Jesus. Because Peter understands that living like that is the only way to reverse the normal way that the world works, which is a world marked by power over others. And Peter's message to Christians, he's saying, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't live in that same old world anymore. And we're not to look to our, our, our culture around us to understand how we're supposed to live and relate to one another. We're supposed to look first and foremost to Jesus. And when we do that, and only when we do that, can we understand that voluntary submission is not a form of weakness, but strength. And so Peter's message to the church isn't to reinforce abusive hierarchies, but to subvert them through being Christ-like. And this applies to everyone, both women and men. And another thing that Peter isn't saying is that women are of lesser value than men. He is not denigrating their status, far from it. Because the truth of the matter is this, that wherever Christianity has spread in the world, the status of women within those societies and cultures has been elevated. And the mere fact that Peter is addressing women here, wives, as moral agents in their own right is remarkable. Almost universally, pagan moralists never bothered to offer instruction to women. They were ignored because they weren't important. It didn't apply to them. The aristocratic classes had no interest in them. But by addressing wives, Peter is elevating their status as morally responsible persons within the culture. And this is, again, where it's important to keep in mind the context of Peter's letter. He's writing to Christians who are living in a society that was deeply suspicious and even at times openly hostile to them. And Peter's moral advice is how Christians should live peacefully within such a culture. And the wives that Peter is addressing are especially vulnerable because they have unbelieving husbands. And the expectation was that women would follow the religion of their husbands and worship their household gods. That was taken for granted. And so these women were incredibly strong and almost unbelievably brave in the decision that they had made against the wills of their husbands to become Christians. This was a massive risk. Their husbands could divorce them, abuse them, even kill them with impunity. With no legal repercussions. And so to convert to you know, what was seen as a strange religion would have been practically unthinkable. And so the strength and the bravery of these women cannot be overstated. And when we understand that, we can, we can understand better Peter's exhortation to not fear anything that is frightening. Because there was much that they could fear from their husbands and from the culture. But Peter says, be a good wife, which means behaving in a Christ-like manner. Those, those virtues that he um, encourages wives to exhibit are the exact same things that we see in the life of Jesus and how he is described. So he says, behave in this Christ-like manner and you may yet win your husband to Christ. And many husbands were one to Christ through the faithfulness of their wives. In fact, this was one of the principal ways that Christianity spread in the first centuries. 
Women were attracted to the gospel with its radical message of, of grace and equality at the foot of the cross. We see it at the end of our, uh, at the end of our advice. He says, you are co-heirs together. So women were, were, were convicted and converted by the truth of, of the gospel. And after converting, many Christian wives ended up converting their pagan husbands. And this had profound demographic effects. And Christianity, it, it elevated the status of, of women and girls to such a degree that female children who were born in Christian households were no longer exposed. And a very common um, practice amongst uh, the ancient pagans was that when a female child was born and it wasn't wanted, which was often, it was left to fate. You would, it was called exposure. So you would leave your daughter out, or uh, if it was a child with some kind of disability or, or deformity, you would leave that child out, expose it to the elements, leave it to the fate, leave it to fate which would mean either the elements or wild animals or human traffickers would get a hold of this child. And uh, it, it, it was so common. There's uh, this letter historians found from a husband writing to his wife. And he said, I'm still in Alexandria, and she's pregnant at the time. I'm still in Alexandria. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to send you money. And um, if you happen to give birth when I'm gone, and if it's a baby boy, take care of our little boy. And if it's a girl, expose it. I'll be home as soon as I can, you know. Female life was seen as disposable, casually so, but not so amongst Christians. For Christians, life, all life, even unwanted life by the rest of society was sacred. And what happened was that, that because Christians valued life to such a degree, uh, they kept their kids and they took other people's kids who were left exposed and their families grew and Christians had larger families, and their families had more daughters in them. And eventually, when their pagan neighbor's sons grew up, they had to marry someone. And so they married these nice Christian women who converted them to Christianity, and this virtuous cycle continued. So it wouldn't really be putting it too strongly at all to say that the Roman Empire was one to Christianity through women like the wives Peter is addressing in our passage this morning. And Peter's message here, far from devaluing women, is reflective of the elevation that Christianity brought women in that culture. And, and has happened wherever Christianity has spread. And sadly, there are still places in this world where female life is, is practically worthless. A few years ago, I saw this documentary. It's actually on Amazon Prime now. You, you can watch it for free if you have that. Called, It's a Girl. The three most dangerous words in the world. And, and it examined uh, certain places in India and China um, where gendercide is taking place. Basically where infant girls are infanticide is taking place with young girls. Or just people have ultrasounds and they find out they're having a girl. And so they uh, abort that unborn child. And so, um, and they were speaking to this one woman in India who had killed, I think, seven of her own daughters who she had given birth to. Um, and, you know, you hear this and you're like, oh, my, that's horrible. How could you ever this? this woman was talking about it as if you and I would talk about throwing out a pair of socks that we got and didn't want. And it was horrifying to watch. But you see someone who's deeply steeped in a culture where female life has no value. It just doesn't register as bad. And the person who they were working with on the film doing the, the, the translating and, and bringing um, the filmmakers into conversation with these women with these stories and who was also working to rescue these girls was, not surprisingly, a Christian pastor. And in the region of India he was living in, I mean, it's a tiny 
religious minority. I mean, just less than 10% of the population is Christian. But here he is doing massive amounts of work, establishing orphanages, working uh, to, to bring opportunity and social welfare and empowerment to girls and women because that's what the gospel does. And so in no way is Peter saying, you know, women need to be pushed down. Instead, he is talking about raising them up. And so any effort, we have to say categorically, that any effort to, you know, quote, put women in their place is antithetical to the gospel. And one more point along these lines uh, that I don't want us to miss is is that the point that all of this advice that Peter is giving uh, for Christian behavior in a hostile society, it's about mission, not submission. So it's about the mission of spreading the gospel. And so the point of fitting into the existing social order isn't to lift up any particular society or culture or set of social arrangements as divine and valid for all time. Based on what Peter says in this letter, it's not like we have to go back and reestablish slavery or an imperial form of government or marriage roles from the, uh, the first century in the Eastern Roman Empire. What Peter is saying that absolutely still does hold true, though, is that God can work through any existing set of social arrangements to share the gospel and win people to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's the primary good in view. Mission and submission to Jesus Christ is more important than anything else, even the exerting of our individual rights. And it's something that's completely foreign to us, uh, those of us who are reared in the West, and I like individual freedom and rights, and, and I don't want to give them up. But they are not more important than our loyalty to Christ and his mission in the world. Now, lest I be accused of skirting what the text says, wives, be subject to your husbands. What Peter is saying, that Christian women with non-Christian husbands in the first century Greco-Roman context were incredibly brave, incredibly valued, and incredibly vulnerable. And so for the sake of peace and for themselves and for their husbands... uh, And the gospel, they ought to fit the existing social arrangements in a Christ-like way in order that they might win their husbands to Jesus. And if and when that happened, Christian marriages should then be ordered in such a way that they are a race to the bottom. Yesterday, I officiated at Ed and Ashley's wedding. And they chose for for their wedding text, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, which is Paul's advice to Christian households. And it starts with the command, be subject to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And so Christian marriages and relationships ought to be ordered in such a way that we strive to outdo one another in demonstrating Christ-likeness. And so whenever we do that, whatever hierarchy there might be will not be marked by dominance, abuse, or intimidation. The exact opposite. Christian husbands and wives will strive to show one another the kind of virtues, to demonstrate the kind of virtues that Peter lifts up in verse 8, which is about the behavior and conduct of the whole church. Peter commands Christians to demonstrate unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. And I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He says, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you, no exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll get a blessing. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. And so that's what Christian relationships, including and especially Christian marriages, should look like.
where there is agreeableness, our relationships will no longer be about competition but cooperation. Where there's sympathy, putting ourselves in one another's shoes, there's no room for selfishness. When we're loving other people, we'll be doing unto others as Christ did unto us. And when we're compassionate, we'll feel for others. And when we're humble, we're not going to be out seeking our own status, but seeing who can be the greatest servant. And in that kind of race to the bottom, traditional notions of hierarchy are rendered almost completely meaningless. It's not responsibility over, but tender responsibility for And what Peter wants is for Christian marriages to be marked by strong, loving, faithful, reverent, respectful, engaged husbands and wives living in harmonious order, not harmful chaos. And there's nothing wrong or oppressive about that by the standards of any century. And finally, I just want to share this passage that I... I found it in a book. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic written by two Christian psychologists, uh, doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and it's called Boundaries. Um, and this is a really, really, really great book um, that I think a lot of us could do well living more boundaried lives for sure. And, um, and, he, and he's writing in this chapter uh, near the end of the book about boundaries in marriages, about boundaries in relationships. And so, um, you know, how to take responsibility for your life and how to say yes and how to say no to other people. And they say, so we give this advice to families and, and they're saying one of the um, responses that we get in church context is we say, you know, particularly wives set boundaries in your relationship with your husband. And then someone says, well, what about this be subject to? What about submission? And this passage is so wonderful that I wanted to share it with all of you. They say, what... What follows is not a full treatise on submission, but some general issues you should keep in mind. First, both husbands and wives are supposed to practice submission, not just wives. As Paul wrote, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is always the free choice of one party to another. Wives choose to submit to their husbands, and husbands choose to submit to their wives. Christ's relationship with the church is a picture of how a husband and wife should relate. As Paul says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Whenever submission issues are raised, the first question that needs to be asked is, what is the nature of the marital relationship? Is the husband's relationship with his wife similar to Christ's relationship with the church? Does she have a free choice or is she a slave, quote, under the law? Many marital problems arise when a husband tries to keep his wife under the law and she feels all the emotions the Bible promises that the law will bring, wrath, guilt, insecurity, and alienation. Freedom is one issue that needs to be examined. Grace is another. Is the husband's wife with his uh, relationship with his wife full of grace and unconditional love? Is she in a position of no condemnation, as is the church? Or does her husband fail to wash her of all guilt? Usually husbands who quote Ephesians 5 turn their wives into slaves and condemn them for not submitting. If she incurs wrath or condemnation for not submitting, she and her husband do not have a grace-filled Christian marriage. They have a marriage under the law. Often in these situations, the husband is trying to get his wife to do something that is hurtful or takes away her will. Both of these actions are sins against himself. As Paul writes, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Given this, the idea of slave-like submission is impossible to hold. 
Christ never takes away our wills or asks us to do something hurtful. He never pushes us past our limits. He never uses us as objects. Christ gave himself up for us. He takes care of us as he would his own body. We have never seen a submission problem that did not have a controlling husband at its root. And when the wife begins to set clear boundaries, the lack of Christ-likeness in a controlling husband becomes evident because the wife is no longer enabling his immature behavior. She is confronting the truth and setting biblical limits on hurtful behavior. Often when the wife sets boundaries, the husband begins to grow up. And so freedom and grace is what God wants for us, not power and control. And that's the way of Jesus for all of our relationships. And the way of Jesus is the way of the kingdom come. Earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.